politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew our life, our liberty, and our property to fight for what matters at this critical juncture. Uh, Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. Indeed, it is a crossroads on this Friday, the 11th of November. Very important time to be alive. As I mentioned, it would not be the election. No matter the outcome, that would be important. It's the aftermath. And the more things go on, the more I do believe that God is actually giving us a better chance than we would have had with a great big Republican Party blowout election. Because it reaffirms what we knew was happening anyway. Half the country is lost. And the other half is being governed by a controlled opposition, but it doesn't have to be this way. If nothing else, the fact that we're engaging in introspection about what we need to be doing, that's a good thing. Now, I was working all day on this fight for Speaker to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Running Chip Roy is just an option. Doesn't mean it has to ultimately be him, but he's probably going to put his name out there. But then, of course, you know, I'm sitting and thinking, okay, do I focus on that? Do I focus on the state legislative sessions? Do I focus on local issues? All of the things we need to do to fortify ourselves. We obviously have to get back to the COVID stuff. Just had a friend's father walk into services yesterday. He looked half dead. He said his hemoglobulin plummeted after he got the shot. He had to have surgery, almost died. Walks around with a pulse ox and a cane now. And even his doctor finally realized, oh, yeah, these are death shots. This is a big issue. What is going on is greater than one man's freaking ego. So there's so many things to focus on, but we all have to stop. Stop. Excuse me. One man's ego needs to be serviced. I'm sorry. Nothing matters. Someone feels bad is upset. That Ron DeSantis won Palm Beach County where he lives and so astoundingly demolished the communists that everyone, even some establishment people, are standing in awe of it and it needs to be dumped on. So I shouldn't have to talk about this, but I will because it does tie into our ultimate agenda. And I'm probably the best person to talk about this because I'm truly independent I'm not a Republican anyway. I don't service any one person's ego, whoever that is. I don't want anyone announcing for president now, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, or anyone else, because it distracts from what we want to do now, and it implies that somehow we could wait two years to fix these problems anyway. I was also the person fighting the establishment on every front before it was cool, before Trump was a thing. Before DeSantis was elected, although I was one of the first to endorse DeSantis in 2012, and he was fighting for our cause back then, very quietly, he was always like that. It's not like he's a Johnny-come-lately. So all these people want to insinuate somehow he's establishment. So I'm the best person to kind of give that nuanced, independent analysis of what is and isn't going on. I have a column out today, by the way, 
about the need to get rid of McConnell and McCarthy. And in it, I have a political cartoon that my wife drew for me for a column I wrote. This must have been more than 12 years ago because it was during the 2010 Tea Party elections. And it, the, the upshot of it is it shows a bunch of elephants and then rhinos and donkeys and just kind of the typical you know Thomas Nass style and just showing how what's the purpose of a Tea Party if it just makes Mitch McConnell and Lamar Alexander leaders. Back then, Lamar Alexander was going to be the GOP whip. And I said to myself, here we are 12 years later. 12 years later. 12 and a half years later. So that means I had all my four kids, some gray hair, and we're still having the same problem. So if this anguish from the GOP is going to finally give us the opportunity to engage in this introspection of what is anchoring us, what is weighing us down from getting our message out, but more importantly, accomplishing policy outcomes. Certainly needs to be about McCarthy, McConnell, and all their people. But yes, Trump has to be part of that discussion, particularly because he is making himself part of that discussion. I don't believe that we that they lost a lot of these races or had a lethargic showing because of Trump. It's because the GOP sucks and it's embodied by McCarthy and McConnell. But it is also true that every time we try to rectify it, he always gets in the way. I don't think he was the problem. I don't think he's the solution. And headed forward, I think everyone is starting to realize that cost-benefit analysis is really unfavorable, both policy-wise and electorally. Just a couple days ago, Fox News had an article I just saw. Um, he was touting the vaccines in warp speed, even literally now. It's unbelievable. We can't afford that. But to understand what's going on, the dynamic, this is not a binary. It's not a two-pronged war where... Well, you could say, well, if these people are saying bad things about A, A must be good. Or if these people are saying nice things about B, and they're jerky establishment people, he must be bad. These shallow-minded thoughts. It's not binary. There's actually three camps. There's our camp, the Patriot camp. People like us that just want to live in freedom, want to live unmolested, by a bunch of transhumanist, transgendered, feudalist, globalist, freak show idiots embodied by both parties. We don't want anything radical. We don't want to dominate other people. We just want to live normally in accordance with the values, lifestyle, progress that our parents lived with. That's all we want. We don't have representation. Yet, the closest thing we ever got to it was in Florida. And there's so much more he needs to do and likely will do. But, you know, we need to prod him just like we would anyone else. And he won so astoundingly. Then, there's two other camps. Okay? Then on the other end... There's Trump and his diehard supporters. And what I mean by diehard supporters, 
I don't mean people who voted for him. I don't mean people who support the America First agenda. And those of us who supported it, by the way, long before Trump was around. I mean those that worship the cult of personality. It's all about him. In a way that none of us worship DeSantis. That's number two. And then in the middle is a very large group that consists of a lot of subgroups, what you would call the GOP establishment, and that could range from conservative-ish establishment media, from kind of the consultant, pollster, donor class that they certainly don't believe in what we believe, but they're not necessarily always 100% ideologically opposed to it. They just kind of want Republicans to win. That's all they care about. And then there's like the Mitch McConnells that are ideologically opposed to our ideology and are subversive and would rather even be in the minority and have Republicans lose, you know, so that we don't win. So there's a lot of different umbrellas in there. There's the thumb-sucking conservative media. A lot of different people in that kind of you know, broad group. And it's important for our discussion because they'll have different motivations for saying different things. But all of them are unhelpful to our agenda, our distraction, you know, headed forward to what we want to accomplish. But nonetheless, among some people in that crowd, it's important to understand, so this might create some subgroups, more than three, there's one important element working in our favor now. You see, we've had this problem. I've had this problem my entire career that we can never get a moment of introspection where we're not focused on R's beating D's no matter who those stupid R's are. Where we're not focused on sub, you know, you know, just, just the next election where we could actually look and say, look, we're losing. We're losing everything. We're sliding backwards on every issue, no matter what. What we're doing is not working. The Republican Party is a controlled opposition. We don't have a plan. We don't have a party. We don't have a movement. We don't have a strategy. And we can never have these discussions. How to get rid of McConnell and McCarthy. Likewise, in more recent years, with Trump, as he went on and his flaws over time outweighed his benefits, we were never able to have this discussion about, like, okay, at, at what point is it becoming at best a distraction and at worst a saboteur with everything he did on COVID? But it's not, I don't even blame him for that. It's that to this day, he won't get off of it. We need to have that discussion. Especially when at the moment we finally are having the discussion, he comes out, bashes DeSantis out of nowhere like a psychopath, just weird things, and then is announcing his run for presidency on Tuesday. We don't need that. More than my opposition to Trump running for president, it's my opposition talking about any run for president. We now have an opportunity to finally have a family discussion, and maybe some people I wouldn't consider our family, but maybe they could be helpful. Because we have a movement that doesn't care that people are dying and being injured left and right from the shots. They don't care about the pain. All they care about is the political soap opera game, and the one thing they care about 
our general elections. R's being beating D's. Whoever those R's are, I want a scoreboard of Republican victories. That's conservative media. That's a lot of the donor class. That's what they worship. That's all they care about. Typically, that has gotten in our way. Because we can never do the surgery intra-movement that we always needed. Because always, oh, we got to defeat the Democrats. And I was worried that on the other side of this election, we would be living through the penultimate environment of, oh my gosh, ours are great, D's, ours rule, D's drool. And we would be really suffering through the same pain we are now with a lethargic Republican victory. Because they wouldn't be addressing our issues and discussing the things that need to be done. But now that Republicans and conservative media, their idol has been slayed in front of their eyes. They are mourning. They are in so much pain. They're terrified that Biden, I mean, he's a nothing, but but the people controlling him are so emboldened. They're going to continue doing what they're doing. They're going to do it worse. And they're terrified that we have no backstop. We actually do, by the way. And this is what they need to understand. And they're finally saying, McCarthy and McConnell need to go. I, I worked the Boehner fight three times to try to get rid of him. We, we, we didn't have conservative talk radio that I can go on like I can today and get support for it. We didn't have Tucker back then. There's a huge advantage. Now, when McConnell sits and goes, and literally at a time the FBI is rounding us up, gives billions of dollars to the FBI to red flag political opponents. Remember that? That he passed $350 billion in chips and science to fund the biomedical state, to fund the cartel, the semiconductor industry and give away his leverage that allowed Schumer to use budget reconciliation to pass the Green New Deal. They, they didn't, I didn't hear anything. When he announced that he is going to give away the GOP leverage with an omnibus bill, didn't hear anything. It's bizarre. It's frustrating. There is no human being alive. You are listening to that man right now who has done more to try to get rid of McConnell. My wife made me that political cartoon 12 and a half years ago. I was the one who wrote the famous Storming the Castle essay when I recruited a candidate to run against him in 2014. I've been recruiting against Rhino and Rhino. I've been helping people fight Rhinos since before Trump knew what a Rhino was. And at the time, he made Rhinos look like Jesse Helms. And then when he did get on the play, nine times out of ten, he actually got in our way and helped the other candidates. And he wants to talk about loyalty, that somehow if he endorses you, you're never allowed to – you have to stand in front of him and publicly say you will never run for president. He has no loyalty to, to his own people. No loyalty whatsoever. I'm not even just talking about diehard conservatives, but diehard Trump supporters that supported Trump over Cruz in the primary in 2016 when they were running for Congress for other offices, Trump endorsed the worst rhinos against them. 
We, we did endless shows with, with candidates like that over the last number of years. You want to talk about loyalty. You know, good news in honor of, of Veterans Day today, uh, Ryan Nichols, he is probably the most egregious example of the political persecution in, in the D.C. Gulag from January 6th. He's the Marine search and rescue specialist, literally did nothing wrong. Not even like some others did something wrong, did nothing wrong. Pre-trial, solitary confinement, almost two years. Now, he's not out yet, but the judge in the case did agree to the motion that will get him released. He just wants to work out. Like He's, he's complaining that the guy's wife said something he doesn't like, so somehow he might not be able to live with his wife. I mean... Crazy, still crazy, but thanks to the just amazing work of, of his attorneys, Joseph McBride and Jonathan Gross, um, dear friends of mine, kudos to them selflessly putting themselves out there. And, and, and Ryan, hopefully, in honor of this Veterans Day, he will uh, be returned to his family You know, as he's able to work on his defense. But I could tell you, because I know this firsthand, they got no help. From Trump's orbit. They're outgunned, outmanned, they need lawyers, they need money. No help. The people that bled for him, honestly a little bit too much for him versus the broader agenda, they were left out to dry. I don't want to hear this crap about loyalty. He can take, take it and shove it up his rear end. But I digress. I just had to get that out today in honor of... Uh, Veterans Day, and we have so many great veterans in this in this audience. But anyway, it took a terrible election, and it's not—it's kind of exaggerated. Even it's not even that terrible. But to—I'm just telling you—to conservative talkers, Republicans, they are devastated, and that is a good thing. We have never had this much of an opportunity. This is finally the bridge too far. McConnell, McCarthy, you failed us. They could support Pfizer. They could support the homosexual agenda. Literally, they're about to, and they might still pass gay marriage, mandating gay marriage in the state. That's fine. Whatevs, whatevs. If that is what's going to take my colleagues, if that's what's going to get them to do the right thing, I'm all for it. But that's where we are now, just so you know. That's the momentum we have. In comes Trump and makes it all about himself. Now, a lot of his supporters are like, you know, I like them both. I just want Trump to be president. It's his turn. It's his time. Um, it's not good we're fighting. Yeah, well, who, who the hell is doing it? There's only one man. No, it's an establishment plot. It's the media's getting, the media's trying to create a civil war. Um, I don't know what the media might concurrently want and do and not do, but what I could tell you what we're seeing prima facie is one man's tweeting about you know, uh, safety advice for the hurricane, and the other one is taking his clothes off and just debasing himself. He's the one making it about that. I agree with them that it's McConnell and McCarthy responsible for the electoral loss, not Trump, except for Oz. But again, it's, it, that's the Trump establishment. That's where they merged. They were both wrong. The answer was Kathy Barnett, and they both opposed her when she would have, she was about to win. She would have been. I don't know if you can get past their cheating firewall with their mail-in stuff. I don't know if anyone could, but but you would have had a much better chance with Kathy than with 
the Wizard of Oz, who was the worst candidate in the history of the world, that was extremely gratuitous. I don't want to hear this, oh, it's Trump or the establishment. Trump is with the establishment more often. There's a third option. There was Kathy Barnett there. And Trump is single-handedly responsible for that. But generally speaking, again, I don't want to get caught up in one race because it's not just bet, like Senate picks, establishment Senate picks, Trump Senate picks. If you look at the House races, across the board, they underperformed. So it's not just about candidate quality. We, we talked a little bit with Steve Dace yesterday about what we think happened. How do you have an R plus five, R plus six generic ballot and have that result? Different theories. Who knows? Is there cheating? I wouldn't rule it out, but who knows? And certainly, obviously, what's going on in Nevada and in, in, in Arizona is just <laughs> transparent in front of our eyes what's going on there. But part of why that's going on is because we didn't have a DeSantis in any of these other states. Is because we had Doug Duncy as governor of Arizona with a GOP legislature, and they allowed this to go on. And every time we tried to get rid of these people, Trump stood in our way. So I don't want to hear this garbage that somehow if the establishment media is wants to get rid of Trump, somehow that's a reflection on DeSantis. Let me let me get a couple things off my chest here on that on that point. Yes, there's no question that elements of the establishment of the Republican Party want to use this to get rid of um to get rid of Trump. But that doesn't negate the fact that just because it's more McCarthy and McConnell's fault of what happened in the past, that henceforth, Trump is not the solution. And I don't mean just Trump running for president. I mean announcing right now as opposed to maybe like cooling it off a little bit and helping us out on, on things that he could be helpful with. But I mean, in general, the entire focus on Trump's personality and servicing his daily ADHD and servicing whatever he cares about, which is always himself, and, and, and distracting from what needs to be done. Meaning, I'm not into the soap opera. I'm not into this business of it's always the next election, the next presidential election. But let's face it, most people are. The Trump people are, and everyone else is. Hence Trump's announcing right after this election. So you can't blame other people in, in an era where someone makes one good speech, they give one good questioning, you know, line of questioning at a house hearing, and everyone's like, that guy needs to be present. So obviously, if you have the guy who's the most successful conservative governor of all time, and then electorally just levels the place in a way that just shocks the consciousness, you can't. You, you, you have to understand why people might be like, hey, wow, that's what we want for president. That's not really my message because I think that in itself is a distraction. Whether he does or doesn't run for president, does, doesn't want to, whatever. But you can't blame people for thinking that. That is a very cogent argument. Moreover, this is what I was talking about, different types of establishment. People, some of these guys are like, oh, you know, there's all these people saying nice things about DeSantis and all these donors and this and that. He's an establishment person. Okay, lovely. Notice who's not saying nice things about him. McConnell, he never will. McCarthy, he never will. In fact, DeSantis fought McCarthy before anyone else when he was in Congress. 
he promoted uh, Raul Labrador against McCarthy as majority leader in 2014. Um, but more broadly, more broadly, it's these other people, McConnell, McCarthy, the other governors, they hate his guts. Is there a single governor that has come to DeSantis's defense? No one's making this point. Name me one governor. Pompeo said something nice about him. He's not a governor. He's one, one of the people that might want to run for president. And he might have his own thing. He wants to get rid of Trump so then he can come in and, you know, whatever, run along, you know, against DeSantis, whatever. But no other governor did. And I'll let you in on a secret. If we're going to judge someone's character by who hates them, I will tell you every single dirtbag governor hates his guts and they badmouth him privately. People like Christy Nome, Chris Sununo, they hate him. They're jealous of him. He's everything they're not. The people praising him are kind of like the, the GOP hacks. What I mean by GOP hacks is they just want to win. They just want ours to win. So you do have to understand, while broadly they're not helpful, broadly I want to not be in the Republican Party. That's my agenda. But if you are someone who wants to, you know, be all into this presidential stuff and lead the party, which the Trumpists want to do, well, you're going to have to grow a coalition of support. So it's not surprising to me that there's a number of donors that just, they, they want to be on the winning side. People love winners. They never supported him when he was, you know, four years ago. They would never have otherwise done that. But now they're like, that's a winner. And they're fine with it. You know, it's a rare circumstance. You nev- Usually we don't have a winner because we never get a guy elected who could show the effectiveness of real conservative governance. Think about it. When's the last time we elected one of us as a governor? At best, we had it as House and Senate, but you don't get to govern. All you get to do is kind of rabble rouse. It's a very unique circumstance. So it doesn't surprise me that there are people that you and I wouldn't like, really, but they're GOP hacks. And they're like, man, this guy's really getting it done. I want to be on the winning side. I'll, I'll donate to him. I'll support him if he runs for president. It's a very logical thing. If you're a Republican consultant, Republican donor, and you want Republicans to win, you have no problem supporting horrible Republicans. But if you have a good one that is more successful electorally than anyone else, it's not surprising that people are going to be impressed by that. So, Daniel, but no, but still, you know, you're like, it's better he not be... It's better you be governor for another term or be a leader of the Confederacy, not run for president. So he needs to say he's not running for president. Let me address that. He would be stupid. Put put Trump on a shelf for a minute. He would be stupid to publicly get up there and say, I absolutely under no scenario will run for president this coming term. He'd be stupid because part of his effectiveness of being a governor that serves as that much-needed immediate check and balance on the Biden administration is the fear that he's going to go national. The minute he tells the media he's done, he loses a lot of his clout. 
So even if he, I have no idea what he plans to do, but even if 100% he sits there with his wife and family like, dude, I'm not up to this. This is stupid. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to put my family through this. I'll never do this. He'd be stupid to say that publicly. There was this Washington Post article a while back that showed how he's living rent-free in Biden's head. He single-handedly served as a check and balance on those critical moments when Biden was about to take it, the COVID fascism, even further. That was so important that he's not just another governor. So even, even if you're the type that's like, you still would rather vote for Trump for president, you have to understand it's stupid for him to announce it. And also, if you are still one of those that want Trump to run as president and even to announce now and blow up everything else we're trying to do, that means that you believe he is really a strong, strong man. Wow. I mean, he really has so much to bring to the table. So if that's the case, then you're right. DeSantis is a little nothing. He's a little pipsqueak, disloyal fool that, whose campaign was in disarray before Trump came and saved him. Why does Trump have to go ballistic that he won so handily and have to piss on it? Ignore it. If I were him, I would say, hey, no, it's great. No, you see, look, I endorsed him, and you see how good things came out of it? That's great. And I'd go on to do everything I said he should be doing, go after McCarthy, go after McConnell, promote the transgender legislation that, that just came out of Tennessee, uh, kudos to Matt Walsh there. He lives there for pushing it, pushing every state. You'll be that hero. You'll remind people of what they liked about you in 2016. But it's got to be a little different this time. It's not enough just rhetoric. I think get involved in policy. You'll you'll win. You're still the top dog, although he's trying to lose it very quickly, and he might. It's very simple. And even the Trump people are like, yeah, Daniel, yeah, I mean, that's what he should be doing. You know, I still support Trump, but yeah, it's kind of stupid. But that's the point. You're right, it is stupid, but he's doing it anyway. That reflects who he is, what he's always been, and what he certainly will be headed forward. It's not worth it. Oh, if only he could shut up, but he won't. This is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. He's literally trying to get him in a pissing match. And I, I want to give you a data point here, a detail, that embodies everything I'm talking about. How what he's doing, it's not just unhelpful. How it's nuking and contaminating our agenda. That's my beef with him. I don't blame Trump on the GOP's failure since Reagan. That's the GOP's fault. I blame him for getting in our way of rectifying that and sometimes downright supporting the other side and then contaminating every potential. And let me give you this perfect example that I find extremely disturbing. And that is this. What is the most important thing we can do right now? The most important thing. Democrats are emboldened. There's no limit to what they want to do to us. Republicans, whatever good they were, didn't get as much power as they thought. Okay. Some of these blue states, New York, 
And now Michigan, Pennsylvania, they're going to be horrible. I mean, the crime in Pennsylvania, Michigan is through the roof, fascism, biomedical tyranny. They're going to be complete California. What is the single biggest check on that behavior? Um, Trump running for president. No, no. It's DeSantis being the leader, not necessarily running for president. But again, the fact that that's not off the table gives him that clout against the left and the media to work together potentially with as many governors as possible to say this will not happen in our states. Almost a year ago, DeSantis was on this show and said, I will work with other governors to have a state-based reciprocity program to repatriate illegal aliens. By the way, Trump, when he was president at a federal level, which immigration is all federal, his deportation record, and I did many articles on the data on this, was much worse than Obama, especially in Obama's first term. Now, Biden now completely shut it off, but, you know, some of us remember that for all the talk. Oh, the dreamers and this and that. Here's a man who's willing to go out on a limb when the courts will clearly say it's unconstitutional and as a state start deporting illegals. And I think you know he means business. But there's one problem. We don't freaking have a single other person to work with. That's how bad the party is. That's how bad these Republican governors are. Except, as we speak, as Trump makes this about himself, there is one other person we have hanging in the balance, and particularly with illegal immigration, a very important state, Carrie Lake in Arizona. And yesterday on Stephen Crowder, my colleague on his show, she had on Carrie to talk about you know, just the craziness with Maricopa County counting. But somehow it veered into Trump and whatever. And she made a comment to the effect, and I don't have the clip in front of me, you could look it up. Something like, you know, DeSantis goes out and gives a speech and everyone wants him to be president. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's pretty accurate. Now, it wasn't like a take it as a direct attack on him, more attacking the people trying to do it. I mean, literally, that's what the words are. I mean, it's the people doing it. But, like, really? Uh, really? All he's done is given an acceptance speech? Like, that's why? No, no, no. They were telling him as president even before the insane victory he had. But, no, no, no. It, it's everything he did. Again, if you're into presidential politics, which most politicos on all side are except for me, it, it's a very logical thing why people would promote him as a presidential candidate. You know, every time someone has one good moment, they're like, oh, you know, Christy Nome, Trey Gowdy, 2024. Like, you know, that always goes like these memes online. This is a whole nother level, like by a magnitude of order of 10 deviations over. It may, even if you strategically, like maybe you should wait, it's not worth it. I, there's different arguments. But it certainly is a very coherent, logical reason to be like, well, you literally punched them in the face, the left on every issue. You drove them out. You made people come there. You made it a refuge. And you won blacks, Hispanics, suburban voters. You won Palm Beach County. You might want to take a look at that. If, if presidential 
politics is your end all, which it is for most people, I don't agree with it, it's kind of logical that you'd start looking at a man like that. So to reduce it to just giving a speech? Now, we have too much riding on this. I don't want to create a needless rift. I, I, I would look forward to working with her. But the point I'm trying to make is this man contaminates every damn thing he touches. So now the one other governor, I think everyone would agree, you know, no matter how much you're on the Trump side, that the most important thing, probably more important than even getting out McConnell McCarthy, is for DeSantis and Carrie Lake, if she becomes governor, to work together. I think we would all agree that it's probably the most fruitful relationship that you can have. And here's what's starting to happen. Okay, that is not a two-way street. Oh, that, that's not like a both sides need to stop thing. Like it reminds me like when the um, Hamas and these types would you know, declare the intifada on Israel. So it was always like the State Department would put out both sides need to stop. No, that, that's not what's going on here. Okay, there, there's, there's one side that can't help himself. You know, so that, that's what that, and, and by the way, one other thing with Trump so he endorsed him. Okay, let, let, let's set the record straight here. Trump was a sitting Republican president. He was a sitting Republican president that promised to drain the swamp, to be that voice against the establishment. So it's very logical that when you have a conservative warrior who proved himself, founded the Free Freedom Caucus, co-founded Freedom Caucus in the House, and runs for governor of one of the most important states against an establishment hack, that yes, you would seek that president of your party his endorsement. Okay? And to his credit, he made the right choice. Whereas eight times out of ten, he actually didn't. And carpet bombed us. But like, somehow that means that for the rest of his life, he has to service him. It makes it seem like he, like he did him some particular favor that he went out of his way to grovel to him. Everyone did, including all the establishment candidates he endorsed and were paying for, including freaking Mitt Romney. So if you're going to own Mitt Ron DeSantis to that extent, you need to own Mitt freaking Romney because remember, there was a candidate against him who, by the way, won the Utah convention. Could have easily supported him. He endorsed McConnell when we went after him. He supported McCarthy when we tried to build support against him. I'm sick of this one-way street. Oh, no, but somehow, no, it's, it's DeSantis is working with, with these guys to, you know, to get rid of Trump. No, Trump is getting rid of Trump. So, again, I don't believe that we lost the election because of Trump. But I, but I do believe that headed forward, it's going to be all pain and no gain. And his behavior is actually self-fulfilling that. It's proving that. It's proving that point. And it's not like he was minding his own business. He wasn't. He attacked DeSantis before. He attacked him after. He's announcing for president at the wrong time from anyone's perspective. So yeah, it, I mean, it's not surprising that everyone, including people we don't like and don't trust, 
But, you know, they're Republican hacks and they want Republicans to go win. I would say, you're going to ruin our chances. Now, it's a valid statement that, look in the mirror, you yourself ruin your chances by settling up to McCarthy and McConnell and all these people. You're the idiots. And that's true. But it doesn't take away from our argument that they're both problematic. They're both problematic. This is the point everyone needs to understand. We're at a point where we must do everything in our power, everything we can, to fortify Red America, to Florida Red America. And what I mean by Florida is I mean you put you pedal to the metal on the policies, make incentives for good people to move in and disincentives for bad people to move in. Use the machinery of government to go after to to go after the bad guys. In other words, like not only do you not have the health department promoting biomedical tyranny and transhumanism, but you have them going after it and have a snitch line for hospitals that that won't allow, you know, won't allow treatment. The opposite. Have that education department go after the masking. Go after critical race theory. Go after the grooming. That's what we need right now. The solution to the fact that the Democrats not only have an impervious blue state wall, but then have now pretty much shored up most of the traditional swing states, the solution is to shore up red America. It will do one of two things. Either that will serve as a shining example to spill over in some other states eventually, or if not, it will create the climate for national divorce, and it just will have a refuge. We'll have an alternative system. But you go into South Dakota with the great hero, Christy Nome, and the Department of Health, the Department of Education, the state bureaucrats, it is, may as well be California. The machinery of the business, cultural, tech, government axis in every other red state is pretty much as bad as New York and California. So because of the people and their voting patterns and the legislature, certain things are overtly stopped and not done like they are in New York and California. But that's why no state is as red as it, as it needs to be. And believe me, Florida, there's a lot more work that can and should be done. And we'll see what he does in his second term. But that's the most important thing. That's what Trump needs to be working on. And you know what? If he did it, that in itself would make a great case for him to be president. Because remember, it's not like he needs to build name ID and support. He could announce any time. But it's that he cannot handle not getting the attention. He cannot handle people celebrating what happened in Florida. He could have easily celebrated along with it. Even thrown in there, yeah, and see how powerful my endorsement was. This is awesome. Without dumping on him. And move on. Attack McCarthy. Attack McConnell. Help us in the States. Shame these loser governors into doing the right thing. And you know what? People would say, look, I love DeSantis, but you're that kind of national leader that we need. You know, let him be governor again. You be president. That If I were advising him, I mean, I don't 
think that's an outcome that would help us personally, but if that's what floats your boat, that's what he needs to be doing. But he never will. And he never did. Because it was never about you and me. Never forget, he is not the American Nigel Farage. He's not like the creator and leader of a populist movement. It was there. I know because we helped lead it. Long before him. He co-opted it. He saw an opening and co-opted it. And in many ways, tarnished it. That's just the reality. You don't have to ignore that there's any good or any value in 2016 or whatever. But it's a, it has to be a recognition that headed forward, just because the establishment always wanted to get rid of him, it doesn't mean that from the Patriot side, there's not a legitimate reason to start engaging in introspection, especially as he's forcing us to do it because he won't shut up. If he lied low a little bit, there's one thing. We'd focus only on McConnell McCarthy, but now it's kind of like the triple crown, which frankly, what do you think we had during his presidency? We had the Trump, McConnell, McCarthy, Paul Ryan a little bit. They worked together to screw us on issue after issue. I'm not going to rehash hundreds upon hundreds of our shows that we did during those years, but those of you who are older listeners, you remember that. Where he was helpful, I praised him. Where he needed prodding, I prodded. Where he nuked us, I, I went after him. And I'm always consistent in that respect. But what often happens, even with someone who is far less personally flawed than Trump, what often happens with a leader of a movement is that often they become a caricature of themselves over time. Some of it's their fault. Some of it is just, it's kind of like a casualty. You know, like the first wave of an of a amphibious assault, they're going to get mowed down. Just and, and they're heroes. But eventually you overwhelm with more waves, but yeah, they kind of go down. And, but it paves the way for another wave. So you, you just get tainted even just from just the battle. You have to fight. You have to fight the system. They come after you. Even if you don't give people independently reason to hate you as a narcissist without the media going after you, even a really good guy. And let me give you a great example of that. My father was a fanatical Ross Perot supporter in 1992. And there was so much, to this day, it's such a shame because I think, I shudder to think, what, what could have happened the country was ready to finally get rid of the duopoly. It was after Reagan. We had Bush. See, too many people either make a hero out of Reagan or then now revisionists say, ah, Reagan was kind of stupid. He was, a, he was a rhino. And neither is true. Reagan was a great start. He did a lot of good things. The problem was his VP was H.W. Bush. And that sowed the dissolution of his entire revolution. And, and the rest is history. But right at the beginning, after those first four years, like 30 years ago, we had an opportunity. Ross Perot ran on, on largely a very good agenda. My father was a big supporter. I would go with him to some of these United We Stand, you know, cabals, these, these meetings in, in the local chapter where, where I lived. And he was, he was obsessed with him. And, and he did so much good. He used his money. And, and Perot, if you understand his life, a lot of things came out about his personal life, what he did for veterans, what he did. I mean, he was a really good person. But everyone has character flaws or personality flaws. And he, he kind of had this goofy side to him. And everyone knew that. So over time, like, you know, he, he said that Bush or Clinton or both of them sabotaged his daughter's wedding. He was Before that, he was actually leading 
He was leading both parties. It was an unbelievable time in American history. But he kind of like ruined it. So he, he amazingly got 19% of the popular vote, didn't wind up winning any state, but you know, fine. My father always said to me, the mistake was that he didn't hand it off to another person. And he ran again in, in 96, kind of a shell of himself. And I, I forgot the numbers, but only got maybe 8% or whatever. And, and the rest is history. And we're stuck today with that false dichotomy, the duopoly, you know, Bush, the next Bush, and just, you know, everything, everything else since then. That was an unbelievable opportunity. And I think, you know, with Clinton's scandals and with Bob Dole being just such a nothing burger, just not just a rhino, but just un, so un, uninspiring and everything, if, if he would have built it, See, Buchanan, Buchanan was ahead of his time too, but he was a little bit rough around the edges to, 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 in my view, to kind of win a national election at the time. But if you had someone kind of with that message, but, but more kind of the Perot focus, but without Perot's kind of goofiness, I, I believe you could have upended American politics forever in 96. But he didn't hand it off to another person. And I think any truly intellectually honest person you don't, you don't have to be establishment. It's not, it's not a matter of that. Just because they're trying to get rid of him, it doesn't take away the fact that you could be the most diehard Trump supporter. But if it really is about the agenda more than the man, you would recognize. Thank you for your service. Even going forward, there's a lot you can do, especially in the super red states that still a majority of people very much like him. There's a lot he can do. He could really do, he could do, I, I say to this day, he can do better than he did as president. We're going to be coming out in the coming days that we're going to have guests on from different legislatures, different states to give you a flavor of what's going on, what we could do in each state. We have so many good ideas. You know, let, let, me, let me just give you an example. There's this Tennessee bill that, that's coming out. And in the Tennessee House, we actually do have good leadership. And they're going to push a bill to um, ban all drag shows in the state. I have to check the details. It might not just be minors. It shouldn't just be minors. Ban it all. So I was speaking back. I was texting back and forth with a friend of mine, Savannah Maddox, in Kentucky. She's in the legislature, but she's actually running for governor. And that primary is around the corner because that's a 2023 election. And she said, I had, I, he, she sent me a, a, um, a copy of the bill she introduced it four or three years ago. She has a bill doing just that. We never heard about it. Because even though Republicans have three to one majorities in both houses there, we can't get anything done. That's where a Trump could come in in a state like Kentucky, name the speaker, name the Senate pro temp, name names and say, are you going to allow drag shows in Kentucky? That's what the man could do. But he won't do it. He won't do it. That's, that's the, this is the non-binary, <laughs> to, to, to take a chapter out of the tranny agenda, the non-binary view that you're not hearing from anyone else. It's a long view. It's a deep view. It's a broad view. It factors in, multiple factors. This is how we take politics here to the next level. Politics is not a math. This is more than this. It's not a number. 
It's an art of the amalgamation of multiple different factors and issues and strategies and trends. And it takes a long view. This is what we need and this is what we're lacking. But headed forward, it's not so much like, oh, the Republicans are doing great until Trump came. No, I mean, I I said all along, I never wavered. I was remarkably consistent. I'm the only one alive, one of the only ones alive that hasn't flipped all over the place with Trump. And I said, when he came on the scene and all the Republican and conservative establishment was like, he's destroying the Republican Party. And then, you know, the, the MAGA people were like, he's the savior. And I was like, dude, he's not destroying the party because the party already is destroyed. There's nothing more to destroy. I just don't think in the long run he's going to be the solution and not the way you're going about this cultish worship rather than maybe trying to, to build a broader movement and, you know, get him disciplined and focused on issues. That, that was my, my original assumption. and It didn't change when he was president. Certainly hasn't changed post-presidency. That's always been my view. It's all about what, matter, what matters to our cause, literally sustaining our way of life. And there's a certain imminence, immediacy to this. We need immediate relief. We cannot afford distractions. And going forward, it will not be helpful to anything we want to do. And remember, you can't ignore the fact that medical freedom is the number one issue. We have people dying left and right, injured left and right, cancers, autoimmune, exploding. We can't, hospitals are death camps. You can't get normal treatment anywhere. We need answers to that. You can't, it's a fifth of our economy. They control our government completely. Every legislature, every agency, they're a bunch of Joseph Mengele's. We're worse than a third world country in terms of medical care, most aspects of it. People are sicker than ever. They're making people sicker than ever. RSV is a, is a huge problem now. It's directly from the shots. It was in Moderna's own clinical trial. It's in their own write-up that it seemed to cause more RSV in children. It's doing it now. And now they're going to come out with a poisonous RSV shot. Trump will never, can never be a force against it. Three days ago, he was praising warp speed. You thought he'd kind of tone it down now. No, he never will. Because it's all about his legacy. It's all about that I cannot allow myself to go down as a defeated president, so I have to run for president. Even though tactically, if you cared about yourself, but also the country in a more strategic way, he would follow my advice and he'd be more influential and more accomplished that way. But he will never let go of this. And that's his own problem. I'm not going to waste any more time on this. I already wasted too much time. But I just want to end off closing the loop on a couple of things that we didn't have a chance to get to. So, um, man, we're almost out of time here. But let's say the speaker's race. Okay, the speaker's race. So here's the deal. Here's the deal with the speaker's race. Some of you are just asking me different questions, so I just want to answer them. We're, we're never going to have the votes through the front door to get 218 Republicans to support one of our type of guys. But 
Here's the good news. They don't have the support for that either. You see, unlike majority leader and majority whip and conference chair and the other things that they're going to vote on in the GOP conference next week, there's another vote. So in conference, it's a secret vote. No one knows about it. So we can't shame them. And they're going to vote for all the bad guys. But when it comes to speaker, that, that's a constitutional officer presiding over the whole body. So you elect the speaker, both parties, you know, the whole body votes, they stand up in front of everyone and they have to give a name. It's a very dramatic vote. So if we build, so the thing is you need a majority of those present and voting. So let's say there's 225 Republicans. You only need, in that scenario, eight to get up and just say, I'm voting for Jim Jordan or whatever, Chip Roy. That denies them the majority. Oh, so the Democrat wins? No, because the Democrats would only have like 207. So even a plurality wouldn't even be enough. They need a majority. It's deadlocked and you have to negotiate. But you build the support now and you say, look, you could vote in conference for whoever you want among the GOP and that's just a majority vote and he is your nominee for a speaker, but just know on the House floor, you're not going to have 218 for him. And Chip Roy announced on Glenn Beck's show today he does not have 218. So what would happen Ultimately, you'd have to compromise because then they would block our guy and you'd have to get a third type of guy. And that's how you negotiate. But we need a change in leadership. All of you who live in a district where you have either a returning Republican congressman or a congressman or a new Republican who just won or ballots still be being counted days later but will likely or possibly win, You need to flood their offices, find their number, flood their offices. Next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, freshman orientation, the House Republicans of the incoming Congress are coming to meet. Who are you voting for? I want to know right now, right here, right now. Who are you voting for? Oh, it's a private vote. Yeah, I understand that. But you are our representative. And that is a very pivotal, probably more pivotal than any vote is who you're going to pick for a speaker. We have the right to know. We want to know, and I would say, tell them to vote for Chip Roy. It's not that there aren't other options. It's just that he is likely going to... The the problem is that they're all going to tell you, look, we'd like to, but there's no other option. So that's what we're saying. No, there will be another option. Don't tell me there isn't. Vote for Chip Roy. How could you tell me McCarthy's a better option? Chip Roy represents Texas. McCarthy represents California values. If you had everyone doing what I'm doing, who's more influential than me, starting with Trump himself, we could do this. Same thing with the Senate. If you're in a state with one or two Republican senators, call them. Rick Scott will likely challenge McConnell. He's not great. He's a lot better than McConnell. Who are you going to vote for? Oh, it's a private vote, but it's the most important vote. That controls the floor. I want to know who you're voting for. And then you publicize it. You shame them. You pressure them. Like I said, that's the only purpose of having a Republican over a Democrat is that at least you can hold them hostage and pressure them. This is the type of thing we need to be focused on. I'm going to be focused on this and so much more next week, coming up with agenda items, strategies, we're working that speaker fight. Notice I didn't say the most important thing is to work on 
building the case right now for DeSantis to run for president. Even though, you know, I'm a big fan of his. Because it's about more than any one person. And I want to just end off today just tying this into Veterans Day. You know, obviously there's amazing veterans of all generations. Very few, unfortunately, from World War II left. A lot from Vietnam. But, you know, when I think of a lot of you in the audience who are veterans, the ones that really stand out to me are kind of like the Gen X Gulf War era. You know why? Because this is after the draft, when it was all volunteer, but before the military got destroyed. It was very much a peacetime, before, especially before 9-11, although certainly we had so much of a surge in patriotic um, recruitment after 9-11 and who served amazingly. But it's those people that just, the ultimate peacetime, the Soviet Union collapsed, there were no big things going on, <clears throat> that peace dividend, and they signed up. Those people, kind of in their 40s, 50s, really served the backbone, the kind of the Schwarzkopf era. It's so sad to think of what has happened to our military. And now you can't even have the children of those people sign up without having to get the death shots. And the Republicans still, next week, likely they're going to pass the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill. Again, there's still 10 Republicans. They need to pick off 10 Republicans in order to, to, to get cloture in the Senate. So I don't want to hear, oh, you know, they have the majorities. They don't have 60 votes. They only have 50. McConnell could whip against it. He never will. And use that NDAA next year to demand changes in the military. That's what it means to be pro-military. Not just to throw endless funding at a woke and broke military. But you know what? Maybe one day we'll get to a point of a national divorce where we'll have state militias that are worthy of that same sense of sacrifice from that and other generations and their willingness to serve when 99.5% when of others were unwilling. Maybe Florida is the place to start just shows there is so much more at stake than the ego of one man. Folks, we had a very, very heavy week. It's going to get heavier next week. We'll be there to cover everything. Send me your comments, questions, concerns to Daniel Horowitz, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. My voice is still messed up. Until next week, hope you guys have a great, terrific time with your family. We'll be back same time, same place Monday. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.